zero hours. Catherine Mather. Ow! Zero hours! Hello and welcome to Zero Hours Podcast with me, Catherine Mather, where I speak to comedians and creatives about the best and worst jobs they've had to do to get by. Today, I'm joined by comedian Robin Perkins. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) People freak out when you're positive when you answer that question. (laughs) They can't understand it. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm American, so I'm always like things are lovely there could be like tears streaming down my face and I'd be like but at least it's moisturizing like (laughs) are American people ever unhappy yeah yeah I guess that's fair I don't know I mean stereotypically no but you know (laughs) I think we just goes never mind I was I was gonna say something even more stereotypical but no I won't I'll leave it at that okay well fine I guess sorry sorry uh, no 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 it's <laughs> fine uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna assume that all American people are happy because I've never been there before so yeah yeah uh, and all the ones I've met have been quite happy so <laughs> good for them good for you <laughs> makes you feel any any better deep down inside I have crippling self-doubt don't we all that's why we're in the comedy game baby I know, seriously, there's no comedian in the world that wakes up and goes, you know what, I am pretty darn sure of myself. (laughs) And that's why I need the validation of strangers every night. Exactly. And if any comedian does say that, then they're like, oh, I could actually do a different job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then they usually do. Yeah. Because it's better paid. Mm -hmm. Easier. But um, anyway, talking of jobs what what's your worst job ever been so outside of comedy Mm. I have I I, well my my first job ever I was a fluffer and folder at Filene's basement not in the sexual sense but in the (laughs) my job was literally to fold clothing at a department store just all day every day yeah that was pretty pretty boring yeah that sounds dull yeah I have and then inside comedy I have done some pretty horrible corporates or what do you want to hear about do you want to hear like inside or outside worst jobs I feel like if we begin outside because it always this podcast always descends into us just geeking out on comedy by the end of it so okay oh no there's another one I knew this would happen is when you asked me I would for immediately forget all of my horrible jobs and then one by one they've come back so (laughs) I do have more. So I have back when I was in grad school in Boston, I worked mm-hmm. at this deli. Yeah. And the so the owner was apparently a massive cokehead and she just snorted away all the profits. But the chef was not emotionally stable or a good guy. So you'd go in and basically you because in the states when you're a waitress you get paid like two pounds 50 an hour but then you get paid in tips yeah it yeah and so but the the deli was so cheap that you could go in and get like a bagel for a dollar 50 and a coffee for like 85 cents so even if you're getting like a 20 percent tip that is 
40p and so you just go in and you try to get the weekend shift so that you could turn over as many tables as possible but then you're like doing 80 tables at once and it's just non-stop for like eight hours and I mean, the place was disgusting anyway. So in the, they were like, it was a Jewish jelly. And so they were known for their bagels, but they basically get all these bagels in frozen. Then they also had kind of a rat problem in the basement. Oh no. (laughs) Then you'd have to like sift through the bagels and see which ones weren't eaten by rats. And looking back on it, I'm like, I think they've been shut down since, which is probably a good thing. Mm. Uh, but so I'd always be scared to go into the basement and one, one of the servers would have to get there at like six in the morning to start the early shift, which was always me. I don't know why, but the real issue with it was like the chef, if you put in an order wrong or he got the order wrong and it was like the worst thing in the world to go over because he would just like yell at you and like throw stuff and just absolutely flip out because if you got anything wrong so you'd have to be like um it was just wondering if maybe i could get some like cream cheese on the side and he'd be like what are you made cream cheese and yeah it was horrendous it was really bad i remember and working it was also one of those um situations where when you're employed by somebody and they don't let you have any time off mm-hmm. like in it but even though you legally have a right to, they'd be like, I'm sorry, we just can't do it without you. And so I gave up a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have for a freaking waitress dining job. Oh God, that's so unfair. Like, it's yeah. so bad. Like I had to miss this massive water polo tournament that I really wanted to do. And I still haven't forgotten about it. And I'm like, I, I think I eventually quit. I was like, you know what? You can either have me back on Monday or not, but I'm not coming in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was horrible. We didn't even get free food. I remember one time I was working so many hours that my shirt that I had to wear from it wasn't dry. So the chef put it in the microwave to try to dry it so I could wear it. For my shirt. That's so tragic. Like, how is that a solution to that problem? <laughs> I don't know. It you worked. get two shirts. Yeah, no, absolutely not. That is too much money. No. <laughs> I feel like that is because I've done my time in waitressing as well and that is a chefs are all like that and I just I just want to give chefs a hug and just be like come on put that drink down stop doing the cook we'll just sit down how are you feeling (laughs) just no no you don't have to be all macho it's fine (laughs) stop shouting now he was ridiculous because oh my yeah it was petrifying yeah it was it was legit scary yeah yeah because the power dynamic as well between waiting staff and the chef is real wonky yes a hundred percent yeah because if you you yeah because they have all the power they can just not deliver something or like yeah yeah and they also don't have to talk to people Mm -hmm. uh they get paid a proper wage <laughs> and that yes <laughs> yeah so, That's how, so uh, how long were you there for i don't know six months maybe long enough yeah it was yeah it was multiple yeah because i had to work myself into the weekend shifts because mm-hmm. i had to prove myself as a waitress and then which was very competitive. It was weirdly competitive as well. Like all the other weekend waitresses were like, who is this person that's coming in to like 
take a weekend shift. But I was also really good at it. So I was like, <laughs> here's some eggs. Yeah, bagel. <laughs> Were you doing that? Was that your full-time job or was that to support you in study or, or what have you? Yeah, that was supporting me in grad school. So I think I did probably 20 hours a week, maybe. Yeah. And then, so I did architecture in between biology and comedy. I did architecture. Right. And so I was doing, I did like a year of architecture school and then I did landscape architecture. But in the year, year and a half of arc, maybe it's two years of architecture school. I think it was two years. Yeah, two years of architecture school. So the first year was like, I, that's what I think when I was waitressing as well, 20 hours a week. And then the second year, you're supposed to have a full-time job during the day and classes at night, right? right? And I, because I had zero experience, then started working for this construction company, yeah, <laughs> which was not great. So, because, well, you do welding, so you'll know that like, like, you know, the the job sites. So basically I was working for this contractor that was building like the biggest school in Massachusetts. And so I go and I get hired, but cause like there's the contractors and then they have all of the like foremen and all the guys doing the work. But because I had zero experience, they were like, we'll just put you in front of, in charge of health and safety. Cause it was the only <laughs> thing that like I actually knew. Yeah, <laughs> I had zero experience. But the problem is, at the time, I was probably like 23, 24. So I'm like, this 23-year-old girl with zero experience who's just done an ocean training, and that's it, going on a massive job site with these like 40 and 50-year-old foremen who have like, this is their entire career. They are like, so I've got guys like hanging off of I-beams, 50 beams, 50 meters, 50 feet in the air. And I'm just like, excuse me, I don't think your hard hat's on correctly. And they're <laughs> like, go fuck yourself, little girl. Like, oh, it was awful. Like that one, also awful. Like just yeah. guys just being like, and ha, oh, and then one of them. Am I just taking this over and going on a tangent? No, no, please <laughs> tell me more. So they, I mean, they obviously all hated me and I, and I hated the job as well. <laughs> and, uh, and then I finally decide to leave because I somehow managed to like crash my car. I get in car accidents. Okay. It's fine. And well, actually, but it's then... not fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's the opposite of fine. <laughs> well, it's like five and a half car accidents. But oh, I, okay, we'll go over to them afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I was never a professional driver. I will say that. Um, but there is, there. I mean, this is has nothing to do with the job. But there was also a side note. I was living in Boston when like the big dig was happening, mm -hmm. at, which I don't know if you guys know the big dig, but it's basically there's this above ground motorway and the big uh, that ran up and down the coast, and they basically put it underground and put park on top of it, which was the biggest infrastructure project in the u.s and the most over budget and the most over time it was a massive thing and it was called the big dig and now it's fantastic now that it's done but it, this is during the process of the digging because it's like a massive city there are obviously a lot of rats yeah. and so the and because the highway was on the coast they displaced so many rat homes that all the rats just started moving inwards towards the city oh perfect right? so, there was like a massive rat infestation mm. in Back Bay where I lived. Now, also, 
in the alley where I parked my car was this big restaurant that only had its dumpsters dumpsters collected every like three or four days but there's no lid on them so the rats are basically like there's a massive rat infestation behind my flat and so every time I'd get in my car in the morning to drive to the construction site like rats would run out from underneath it because also and then when I come in at night I'd have to like call my mom every night and be like I'm gonna get out of the car now I'm just gonna (laughs) stay in the car and if I call 911 if the rats get me and so this one day it was snowing and I go to start my car and it doesn't really start and all the rats like run out from underneath it and I was like oh my god they were just underneath my car so eventually the car doesn't start and then the tow truck person had to come and get the car out of the alley and as we're waiting for the bigger tow truck to take away my car because it's broken, she pops the hood of my car and there were like more rats in there being like, hey, we're cold. Do you want to like start the car? <laughs> and as it turns out, like I and I was expecting like thousands of pounds of damage because they've chewed through stuff. They hadn't really chewed through anything. It was only 300 pounds. Yeah. But the reason why it was it didn't start, there were so many rats living in my car that their shit clogged my engine. Oh, no. What? Yeah. That's horrible. It was really bad. Was it it was fixed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was luckily cheap to fix. All you had to do hey. was like scrape out the poo. Uh, in any case, after that happened, I was like, maybe I'll use this as an excuse to get out of the construction job because i was like oh yeah like i'm sorry i don't have a car and i can't job drive to the job site so oh darn can't work for you anymore wish i could but... yeah really <laughs> really wish i could my hands are tied <laughs> <laughs> so i eventually quit and on my last day of the job there was this like 40 42 year old foreman um who then and again at the time i'm like 22 23 years old and asked me out on a date. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, and at the time I was like, oh, he's really hot. And then we get to the date and I was like, oh no, you're just hot when you're like running a construction site and you're like, oh, there's like a construction guy. So we're at this date. And also like looking back on it, I was 22. He was over 40. Like there was a that's creepy. Yeah, that's really creepy, isn't it? And it, I, I have been in similar, kind of similar. And it does make you wonder, what do you not see it? Do you not understand how inappropriate that is? What in what world? And also, yeah. it's interesting how the the power and context of a person in one space. It's very different when they're taken out of that space, isn't it? Uh, oh, so much, so much. Yeah, like we when were. You're, when you you're compared against your colleagues, you're hot, but in the yeah. real world, <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was it was such an awkward and long day. I just kept drinking gin, but I actually we went to a comedy night in yeah. Boston, and I remember sitting in the front row. And I remember being like, they are going to, and I think it was so awkward and so wrong that even the comedians were like, I'm not touching that. Well, no. (laughs) That is too much. (laughs) So, yeah. Sounds pretty bad job. (laughs) Were you performing comedy then? No. I, so I had a very weird, like, I didn't start comedy until I moved to the UK. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and it was kind of on a whim. 
So when I was going to comedy, I had no idea about any of it or yeah. Yeah. Okay. Were you were you into comedy then? Or I mean ish. It's it, okay, so it wasn't that I wasn't into it. It's just not something like I'd always if somebody was like, Do you want to go to comedy? I'd be like, Great, but it wasn't like a thing that you did. Yeah, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. It's yeah, kind of like, uh, do you want to go to this musical? Sure, I love musicals. Do I go to musicals once a month? No. <laughs> like yeah. that kind of a, yeah, that. How many other women were on the construction site with you? Only one. She was a laborer, and but like was also, I, I don't really think she wanted to associate with, with me. No. <laughs> she was like, I'm like tough and actually do stuff. And you're just flouncing around with like a hard hat and a clipboard with no fucking idea what you're doing. <laughs> so then what you did, so you did the landscape uh, architecture. After that. Yeah. And yeah. then that's what brought me to London right so was that a job that you wanted to do because you you're also a scientist right yes so were these jobs that you wanted to do or was it just something that you went to study because you're like I enjoy that and I guess I'll do that or yeah so okay so the the construction job I had to do to do the studying but it's not really one that I wanted but I did want to go into landscape architecture and the job that brought me to London I had a very love hate relationship with right how so i did i did want to do it and the woman that i worked for is one of the most respected landscape architects in the world like mm-hmm. she's done big famous things she's very well known um her name is martha schwartz and she did like actually gee, oh, there's like a playground in elephant and castle that she did as well that has like a bunch of like weird shapes and balls and stuff I don't know but she also did the roof garden at MoMA in New York City and like some big stuff anyway but the reason why it was a very love-hate relationship if it, it was it was like the devil wears Prada it yeah in in landscape architecture for, like we I remember when my sister came to visit me she like wouldn't let me take my sister to the airport because I wasn't allowed to get out of like two hours of work and the amount of nights that I was there until four in the morning and I would just crash on the sofa in the basement of the office because I was like if I waste a half an hour going home and then coming back again that's an hour less sleep that I get so I would just work 20 hours a day straight oh my god that's insane yeah and I remember this one time uh somebody did a printout and like the printer wasn't calibrated to the computer screens and she just started chucking green markers across the office being like what's that and yeah uh but but then equally like randomly you'd be there at 10 at night and she just come up and like give me a hug it was it was really odd it was like it was genuinely like a a very weird love-hate relationship and the nanny made a really good musaka and I got all the (laughs) she'd feed me sometimes which is lovely (laughs) wow that sounds really confusing yeah who are you today (laughs) yeah no it was and she like she wasn't a horrible person and she was a great designer and a great mentor. And I really respect her as a professional, but at some point in time, like the hours were 
insane. And this is back in 2008 when we were going through a recession. So I basically moved here and then our, we got cut on 80% of our salary, but we're still working full-time, even though we're supposed to not be working full-time, but we're all working, you know, 60, 80 hour days. And so I was getting paid like absolutely nothing, but yeah, but also my visa was tied to the employment. So I was like, um, I'm just going to hold on as long as I can. But yeah, but I also, I got to work on a park in Finland, which was really cool and a hospital in Vienna. So I got to like travel and stuff, which was oh, cool. That's great. So that was, um, was that the dream? Was that like the plan? Yeah. That was the plan. That was the whole plan of like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. That I was like, I'm going to be the best landscape architect in the world. The, yeah. The, uh, yeah. That was totally the dream and the plan. Cause I did like, I, I had like a good CV running there. I was like in Boston, I worked for like another one of the big name landscape architects and I had, you know, yeah, it was good. We had actually, they had a movie. They, there was a movie that Brad Pitt was in and he was a landscape architect in it and, or an architect. And they actually, the TV producers came to our office. I mean, no, not Brad Pitt. Maybe it was Jude Law. No, no, no. It was Jude Law. Brad Pitt was in a different project that I worked on uh, that, that had to do it. <laughs> doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> that was for the, uh, after Hurricane Katrina, there was a project that he was involved in. Jude Law, right? Yeah. So Jude Law came to the office and was like learning how to be a landscape architect from us. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the, yeah. So it was, I mean, the movie I think was really bad, but. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't matter. You did your part. You saw him. Yeah. And then I was on site in Finland when, so we kept on, cause you know, you have to get put on risk of redundancy for 30 days before they can actually make you redundant. I did not know that, but yeah. Oh yeah. So that's the <laughs> thing, or at least it was 10 years ago. Uh, so because of the recession, she basically kept putting us on all the whole office, the entire office on risk of redundancy for 30 days and then taking us off of it. And then putting us back on. So we're on this cycle so that basically she could fire us as soon as possible. Like, wow. and, and again, because my visa was tied to that job, I'm like shitting myself. Yeah. That's my so last stressful. Yeah. And, um, and one of my friends who I went to school with was working at a much more corporate landscape architecture firm in London. And as I was on site, in Finland, I get another call that was like, well, you're going back on risk and redundancy. And I was like, uh-uh, I've had enough. So I basically called my friend at the corporate firm. And because of my experience, they were like, we'll hire you right now. We'll sponsor you. Cause they're like a big, bad company with yeah. like, yeah, like one of those. So I started working money. for them. <laughs> yeah. They were like, yeah, they were just like, this is what you want to do to get the visa. And they were like, yeah. yeah. So I started working for them and that is when, oh, and then I hated it because they were really corporate. I did work on the 2016 Rio Olympic Park with them, which was cool. Yeah. So I got to uh, to Brazil as well, uh, which is cool. That's cool. Yeah. The hours were real bad as well. I can imagine. (laughs) Um, I worked on Winter Olympics. I designed a little um, cup holder. For ah. the presenters to put their cups on um, in the, on the little podium. That's so. awesome. <laughs> in Japan, I think that was. 
And then right. I was like, can I come to Japan? And they're like, no. <laughs> I guess I'll stay here. <laughs> oh, that sucks. I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't get to travel as much as I would have liked at that yeah. job. Because there was like the people, there was the department that had like the global make the world a better place kind of landscape arc so like well things like the rio olympic park where it's like high profile and then they had resorts which were like just a bunch of rich people winking each other off and (laughs) and that one was its own department and oh my god if you got in with them that was like a boys club that was like the 22 year old boys that got to go to the maldives multiple times and you're like this is but I'm the, I'm the marine biologist. <laughs> that sounds like a real toxic place to be. It doesn't sound like it would be a lovely uh, working environment. <laughs> it was not. I know. I could tell you more stories, but I feel like I'll tell you that I, I, I can't, <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you everything if it's going to go out in the public. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that is um, a, a big issue with this one. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> people do listen to it. Um, but the next time we gig together, remind me to tell you a really not okay story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll write it down, remember yep. it. <laughs> so, I mean, it must have been nicer, though, to not have the stress of whether you can stay in the country hanging yes. over you all the time. And were the hours better, even if it was? Colder? No. During the Olympics, it was still, there was a period in time where it was 20 hour days. And then after we finished, after we finished the major deadline, we, we all came in and it, we were all like just exhausted. I, I just remember our boss being like, look, you guys have worked really hard for like weeks on end. You know what? Don't come in until noon tomorrow. And we're all like, <laughs> we don't even get a day. You can have three hours. <laughs> like, are you kidding me (laughs) yeah that was shitty but then i so i got my indefinite leave to remain at four and a half months because you can get it like six months before and it just so happened that at that point in time i was done and so i didn't mean to like wait till i got my indefinite leave to remain and then quit but But also (laughs) (laughs) but i was like see you later i'm fucking out of (laughs) here Um, and I went on sabbatical in May of 2015 and yeah. then just never returned. Oh, that's the best way to sabbatical. <laughs> I know. Although I never got leaving drinks, oh. which is sad, but it's also I got a computer because I just never returned it. Swings and roundabouts. I mean, we can hold you leaving drinks now if you want. Yeah. Well, we did have... <laughs> Just get shit first. <laughs> we had, I did have, I had like a top secret leaving drinks that um, we masked it as landscape bonding drinks. Mm-hmm. And so we've got together where everybody that was friends with me in the office knew that they were my leaving drinks, but they were not labeled as my leaving drinks. And the head of like landscape architecture, his PA like somehow got the corporate card and we got like two grand bar bill in Hoxton. <laughs> like Amazing. <laughs> Okay, I don't think that I could match that with my leaving drinks offer, so I'll just pull it back out. <laughs> just remove that from the table. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did you have somewhere to go when you left that, or was it literally just absolutely not put this one out? 
Um, no, I went full time in comedy then. Oh, okay. So you were doing comedy whilst. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. I was there wild. for a while at the corporate one. I was only supposed to be there for a year, but I think I was there for like, I'd gone part time in 2014 and then left completely in 2015. But yeah, I was there for a while and I started comedy. My first gig was November 2011. And then I started kind of 2012. Right. So, so what led you in into that? A friend in the office was like, I'm going to do a comedy course. Do you want to do it with me? And I went, sure. And then I realized I was going to be out of town. So I didn't even do the comedy course with him. I just did it on my own and mm -hmm. was like, I'm going to do it. And then the very first day of the class, I fell in love with it. And that's how I got into comedy. Is the office friend still doing comedy? No. <laughs> they never are. <laughs> they never are. Which is totally fine. It was really funny because for a couple of years, he kept being like, I'm a better comedian. And he wasn't really gigging. But I remember he was like, going to gig with me. And then, but because I had started, I mean, I did a hundred gigs in my first year, which I think is like when you're starting out pretty good going. Yeah, that's a lot. Cause usually you um, sort of do like one a month and then it takes you yeah. like three weeks to just stop shaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was so, or maybe it was two years for hundred gigs. I don't know. I remember it was a January that I hit hundred gigs. Yeah. No, it must have been it must have been a year yeah. because the next one I did Edinburgh and I would have done at least 50 gigs in Edinburgh mm -hmm. yeah so it would have been yeah anyway the point is uh yeah after a couple of years we did a gig together and he was like don't know you're way better than me <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I actually do it yeah but yeah there's a lot of people who are just happy to say that they do it um, yeah yeah um, for sure like I had a housemate who was would be like, um, oh yeah, I'm thinking of doing comedy, and that was his personality. And then I was like, oh, I actually do it, and he hated that. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's my job, and ah, oh, oh no, no. <laughs> I said, do you want any help? I can help. And he went, no, I think I'm all right, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I hate that so much when people are like, oh, you can use this. Why don't you put that in your go? Oh, this is, and I'm like, it takes a lot for a story to make it into my standup. Like, I don't think you really understand how funny a story has to be. And even then, yeah. some stories you just, and I don't also need your help because it, you're not me. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you want that storytelling in a comedy club, start doing fucking comedy. <laughs> 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 uh was it at what point did you know that it was what you wanted to do i from the first day of the course mm -hmm. i remember calling my sister after i left the course and and at that the first day of the course because i had no experience in nothing we just had to talk into a mic for like a minute yeah. that was it just to do that and i called my sister was like at some way or another this will be part of my life forever yeah so it was like the second I loved it immediately. What was it that you loved about it so much? I don't know. No. I just felt like holding a mic just felt right. Yeah. I don't know. That sounds wanky. 
I don't know, maybe I'm really self-absorbed. And I was like, wait a minute, everybody had to sh- Everybody just shuts up and listens to me. I am in. I am in for life. <laughs> this is like a conversation, but I don't have to stop for other people to talk. <laughs> Which I'm slowly um, realizing is also what this episode of your podcast is like. <laughs> no, no. I've like Because if uh, if you stop talking and I talk, and people have heard all of that before. They don't need to hear my shit again. I've been doing this for four years. There's <laughs> poor people. So... <laughs> um, so it took you, was it four years to get the yeah. door pro? Four and a half. But I will say I had been also promoting Laugh Train Home at the same time. Right. So I was yeah running a night in London in addition to doing comedy. But I, when I first went part, oh, the, so, hmm, the, I think it was the summer after I went full-time because when I went part-time, I crashed at a friend's spare room, mm-hmm. like 200 pounds a month. Mm-hmm. And then another friend of mine bought a house that the front facade was like falling off of the house. And so they couldn't oh. live there because of the crack in the ceiling and they had a newborn. So then, but it was like a three bedroom house. So then I just squatted in the house for free for six months <laughs> Fantastic. Like making sure nobody like moved in, but also, I mean, it was fine because I was in the back room and then the crack was in the front room. So you just couldn't use half the house. So it's ace. Yeah, amazing. Six months. So then that helped me survive. So there were like little things that helped me to go. And, and then, uh, as you know, <laughs> I had a lovely little breakdown in May and was it may was it april i don't know but no. yeah now i think it might be now. May. yeah so i have officially gotten out of the promotion game 100 percent done it's, it sounds really stressful did you find that it helped your comedy at all being involved in that regard so i think it helped in some regards and hurt in other regards. So I think financially, not at first, because I, the first like three or four years the club was running, we were not making money and it was, I was getting paid maybe like one P an hour mm-hmm. at most, but I also became a much better MC running the night. So yeah. on one hand, it helped me. And then eventually after I'd say probably from 2017, the club started making money. So between 2017 and 2019, that also helped me financially, but it takes so much more time than you think. Mm -hmm. So it helped me become better MC and financially and meet people. I've met loads of comedians doing it. However, the flip side of that is people view me as a promoter and not as a comedian. So all of the, bigger names that I know most of them don't see me as a comedian they only see me as a promoter and that actually it'd be better if they don't know me at all yeah in a way and then industry agents all of them see me as a promoter not a comedian and that's hurt me a lot and then on top of that the amount of time that goes into promoting hurts me as well and so I probably would have been better 
doing freelance graphic design work and then spending time on comedy outside of that looking back so I'm wondering yeah so I I don't know if it actually did help me yeah it's I um, mean yeah (laughs) it's it's difficult to know at the time isn't it when you just kind of take work exactly because you look at it going oh but wait a minute that means that like I can be in comedy and just in comedy and that's all I'm doing and but on the other hand I'm like I do wonder if my comedic trajectory would have been a lot different had I not built up this club. Yeah, that's um, that's really unfair that that happens because so many people run clubs and are also comedians. But then I think also you can get um, people will either you either get sort of put as an MC or a, a you know sort of act that that split can kind of happen sometimes as well, can't it? And I feel like currently I'm in a a position where I've not emceed much. So because it's hard to do because you have to, you know. I've done it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's, there's a a real sort of disparity on on the the way up, you know. That's the way up, you know, like learning and improving the craft, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And... I think I've finally gotten to a point where I'm doing a more equal split between sets and emceeing. That's good. Yeah, but it is in it, it's easier to get into a club as an MC, I think, for me. Mm-hmm. Because I think people trust me more as an MC than yeah. a set, maybe. But yeah, I think almost with like running clubs as well, is that it's a double-edged sword. The more successful your club is, the more you're seen as a promoter and a worse of an act. Really? But if you like, yeah, because I think if you only run like one night that's like nobody really knows about, then you're still seen as an act that yeah. like, oh, I run this one night. But then if your night turns into like a comedy club, then you're a promoter. Yeah. I think. I don't know. That could be just me in my head. I'm having a very existential crisis day, so. <laughs> oh, God. I'm sorry. Um, so... What is the meaning of it all, Catherine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think we're all just trying to do our best. <laughs> so, tell me about some of these horrible corporates. Oh, I have. I'll tell you. Okay. I'll tell you two or three. Um, one of them was when I had only been going a couple of years Mm -hmm. and um, I, when I first started, all I had was very filthy material. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) I think, yeah, yeah. Horrible. And some random guy after a competition put me, like saw me and put me in touch with this couple that wanted a comedian at their wedding. Now, also, (laughs) mind you, not only did I only have really filthy material, looking back, you know, when when you're at the time, you're like, I have 20. And looking back, (laughs) I was like, you had four, (laughs) you had four minutes of good material and you could stretch it out to a 10. Let's be honest. (laughs) Sorry, I'll do 10 of crowd work. It'll be fine. (laughs) It'll be good. (laughs) So, I mean, I had 20 minutes of material. 
I shouldn't have been doing any of it. So it's basically this, uh, he puts me in touch with this couple and I was like, look, I only have dirty material. Here's a YouTube clip of my dirty material. And they were like, great. We love blue comedy. This is what we want at our wedding. And I was like, okay. (laughs) So I go and it was one of the hottest days of the year. It was in the summer and the wedding was in Luton. Okay. And I was supposed to be on around like four, four thirty. Yeah. And I was like, no kids can be there because I am like filthy. And they yeah. were like, okay, we will make the kids leave. And for some reason, Binti was there um with me because he was in town. And so he comes with me to this wedding and we show up and I get a text on the way that was like, Are you almost here yet? Because people are taking their shirts off. And <laughs> They were like, everyone's drunk. It's turning into court carnage. You got to get here soon. (laughs) I was like, oh, good. And we show up and (laughs) Binti looks at me and goes, this is a rough wedding. (laughs) I was like, fuck, the guy from Liverpool. (laughs) It's like, so I show up and they give me like essentially what's like a Fisher Price PA with like a mic that's attached to it. And the lead is like. (laughs) a meter long and to it (laughs) yeah exactly and uh and they kick all the kids out and they shut the doors but they were all the adults were sat in a conservatory so when they shut the doors it's got a glass ceiling and now it just starts (laughs) heating up and getting hotter and i'm just supposed to start nobody knows nobody has been told comedy that is on and i am too new Mm. like if i had the experience that i have now I would have done crowd work. I would have been like, address the situation, but I was, I was too new. I just was like, just do your material and just get through it. So I, in meanwhile, I look outside and I just see Binti, like who's a giant adult kid, just throwing kids in the air, storming his gig, (laughs) like just having a lovely time. And I'm like, everyone is sweating like just sweat pouring down their face also the groom his whole family is french like like proper like not just of french descent but like came over from france french is their first language french and they're all really posh french so they're all all of the posh french people are like i don't understand why this american is just talking about penises and i'm sitting there and everyone because all the people that would have liked the comedy are so awkward because the 86 year old posh french woman is like she said vagina like it was so bad and just again sweat everyone is hot i could i just finished and then it took me like, I mean, they were like, okay, we'll go get you money. <laughs> and it was like, you could tell that they didn't want to pay me. But I was like, that was hell. I'm not not getting paid for that. Like, hey. I understand that that wasn't worth any money to you. But I, that's going to cause some like therapy. Yeah. I need some bad. process today. <laughs> we- Oh, we just stopped in an off license on the way back and got a lot. And I was like, we're drinking vodka on the train. (laughs) This is happening. It was so bad. Uh, And it's it's wild, isn't it? That people don't know what they want because not not nearly the same, but I've done gigs where they're like, we're going to book you. And you're like, okay, but here's a video. I do rude jokes. And they're like, it's fine, say what you want. And you're like, okay, am I allowed to swear? And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Honestly, say what you want. 
and then you get there and they're pissed off that you're swearing and and telling dick jokes you know but that is what you that's what I I sell like yeah this is I've never lied to you about it I told you this was happening you didn't know what you think you want that but you don't want that particularly a wedding like the I mean again with the experience that I have now I would have gone who's in the crowd what's going like do they really know that this is what yeah Yeah. so because if it's somebody's special day why are you taking all of the like you as in the comedian you yeah. not <laughs> you <laughs> like That's what, what I do <laughs> like okay I know it's these guys special day but let's all just listen to me now <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not it's what so they want. bad it's oh. so bad that sounds yeah. rough yeah so it... lessons were learned from that one yeah now when people are like do you want to do a wedding i'm like no no i don't like no one does. obviously if they were like we will give you six thousand pounds to do a wedding i'd be like we'll make it work but <laughs> but i mean there is a price on my soul which i have realized um but it's more money than it was more money than i got paid in luton i'll tell you that <laughs> Like I handed it in coins. You're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> so bad, so bad. Oh, so bad. So, what, what other low lights are there from the corporate scene? <laughs> um, in lockdown, I did one where a guy found me online, and it was one of it was this thing that just kept getting expanded. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, I started off. I apparently I was going to do a set they were like you know 600 pounds to do a set and I was like great I'm in lockdown I got no money like mm. perfect I'll do a set and then they were like I was like is there an MC?" they were like no could you actually just do that too and I was like okay I'll MC myself into a set fine same mm. amount of time right and they were like actually if you could just like host the thing <laughs> and then they just kept tacking on things every time they came back they're like could you also just mm, but i had already agreed to it and even though i should have been like i actually need more money i instead i was like yeah no no worries so <laughs> in the end it was like an hour hour and a half where i emceed myself into a set then did a raffle a poster competition and an auction wow yeah but then but also the raffle happened first and then everybody who run from the raffle was like because it was a charity thing they were like actually i'm just gonna donate my raffle prize to the auction so then the auction was like not only all the things we're auctioning but like also all the raffle things and it just uh, my girlfriend was just in the flat she had nowhere to go because we're in lockdown so she had to just listen to me being like do we have 300 pounds from this and yeah it was horrible and also the comedy nobody it was in the middle of the day they were all at work nobody was listening wasn't zoom comedy weird well it was i mean it could be done yeah but most people didn't know how to do it yeah I had some good Zoom gigs. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I feel like it was a really nice moment of people were all so uh, isolated and lonely. 
whether they were aware of it or not that it was just nice to have any kind of shared experience wasn't it yeah it was we actually i mean comedy for the curious which is my comedy panel show uh that's sciency we've built up like a nice little community as well and it is like a little family it's very sweet i've yeah. been ignoring them throughout july because i've been too stressed with the fringe <laughs> but i love them still and if any of you guys are listening i love you all <laughs> and that's it as well isn't it it's like um there were, there were gigs that i would sort of regularly do and there'll be people in scotland listening and watching yeah. them and, you know they would never be able to come to manchester or london or whatever yeah. for it so it, it brought people together in a way that they would never have done in i say in real life you know i mean yeah. in physical life <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to digital yeah no it's true um and i think it was it was a good way to find a community but i think it's also harsh to say that it was easy to find your community. <laughs> yeah. Because while everybody was forced to watch stuff online, equally, you weren't, it's not like you just gained fans from like in the area. Like all of those fans could watch anything at any time of day from any comedian all around the world of any fame or experience level. Yeah. So like, while you had a captive audience, you also had a like 10,000% increase in what was available. Yes, that's true. So, but ultimately, everybody was just doing it from their, their bedroom. Yeah. No matter who you are. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's very so, true. What was your, what's your best gig theme? We'll come up to the end on a high on a high okay best gig mm -hmm. i'm not very good at deciding things so, <laughs> you, um so you have to be more specific okay i'm gonna give you i'll give you like one liner yeah highlights and then you can pick which one to hear more about okay, okay. all right there because <laughs> i'm not very good at deciding <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh there was the first time I did Perth Fringe World, I did a 300 seater like theater gig for my solo show. Amazing. Cool, Cuz that was like a solo show, not just yeah. a lineup. Um I oh, like a couple months ago I did a 20 at Top Secret where I literally could have like crowd surfed out it was so good it was just uh uh and actually in terms of like last week i brought on russell howard and stephen merchant in the same night which was pretty cool yeah doesn't it? uh and i think those are some of my top ones yeah, yeah. i think i don't yeah I think I also, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think those, are good. those are my, yeah, I'll leave them at that. Yeah. And then what about the one, like, do you have the, the sort of personal growth moment gig? Do you have any of those or are you like, this gig was like objectively, maybe not the best, but I feel like I learned something here. 
you know when you like go back to a place and you learn how to play it more yeah (laughs) i think those like the first time i did comedia bath it was not fun (laughs) (laughs) oh no and i mean it was fine like stephen grant was there and saw me and was like great <laughs> like it was it wasn't a death but then the yeah. second time i went back i like owned it and was like yes yeah. um and i think in general i've now because 2015 i did AAA late in the pleasance which is a horrible experience yeah. it, like it's just for many reasons they're tired and the room is hot and and AAA is rough because people buy tickets ahead of time but they don't know what they're buying so that it's not like they're going to see a specific act and then also it's 11 o'clock at night so they've already seen a million shows and they're not in the mood but they already bought the tickets so they're watching the show anyway it's just awful and then on top of everything there was I one of the guys that was on the show with me was a horrible person um so Oh, the perfect combination. <laughs> I know. It was really lovely. And that one, basically, I left Edinburgh that year going, your material isn't good enough. Like, you just should be an MC. Don't ever do a set again because you suck. And I think in the last year or two, I finally am like, no, I got a solid 20. Yeah. And I think that's the, at some point in time, I just my confidence in my actual material has gone up and I think that's the that's the exciting thing yeah that's wonderful that's a really good place to be isn't it yeah like no I I know that this is good yeah and so yeah I just yes now when people give me like weekends at clubs I'm like yeah I do deserve this Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot to. Never mind. No, no, go on. What did you get? I was going to say a moment, but it was a really um, a weird moment because it. Um, I will say this. This then I'll then I'll then I'll stop. But because uh, <laughs> I in September of 2019, I won the Sydney Fringe, which is very exciting, and yeah, the Sydney Fringe is like good. a. It's a smaller fringe, but they didn't really, (laughs) they didn't, because I was not in Australia when this was decided, I found out in a really weird way. Somebody like Facebook messaged me and was like, oh, congratulations. And I was like, what are you (laughs) talking about? Because they like just announced the winners on, because it wasn't there for the awards. They just announced them, but like, didn't even tag me on Facebook. What? And the email saying that I won came in after, like, a couple days after. So it was very anticlimactic. <laughs> and so I think since then, I've kind of been like, does it really count? I mean, because <laughs> I didn't have... Like... I think it counts. Yeah. Well, but then recently, I think, in as in the last 24 hours, there have been a couple of people being like, being like it counts. Like, yeah. I'm apparently not allowed to enter Amuse Moose because that is a global award. And I was like, but is it really? And they were like, yeah, it is. And I was like, all right, cool. Okay. 
Sorry, that's not a very good story to end on. I just oh. <laughs> sure that is a weird way to be told you've won a thing. Yeah, especially as big as that as well. Yeah, I was like, I just kind of expected more than just like a. Oh yeah, that was you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Cheers. I guess. Yeah, but I think that is. I think the reason why I thought of that is because. You know, when you don't have the confidence in yourself, I think I put down the award because I was like, well, if I've won it, then it must not be a very good award. Yeah. It, in a, I know that sounds weird, but I think only recently have I been like, oh, no, I'm actually good. Yeah. <laughs> and you have to be good to win the award. That's where it related to. That, that was the the... That was the connection. Yeah. Well, it's so easy, isn't it, to be? Because I think, you know, as we were saying earlier, yeah. most comedians are quite unsure of themselves and need validation and, and be like, no, you you were good. You're doing okay. Go on. You're all right. <laughs> so that you're just like, every, anytime something good, well, and good happens to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, but that's only because somebody dropped out. Oh, well, that'll just be, you know, I only got like someone dropped out. Or I only did that, that only happened because blah, blah, blah. And it's it's nice, uh, and I'm really glad that you like. No, it's it only happened because I'm good, <laughs> and competent, and capable. <laughs> yes, and I am available for weddings, <laughs> <laughs> children's birthday parties, <laughs> funerals. Oh God! <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you um where can people find you are you on social media what have you got to plug uh so i am on social media robin h perkins on instagram twitter and i've just started doing tiktok i don't know how long that'll last i hate social media so <laughs> Me too. but instagram is like my main thing twitter yeah so yeah um robin h perkins robin with the y i also have comedy for the curious which is my comedy science panel show, which is going to be, which is live once a month in London. It's going up to Edinburgh and we are online again in September. And then I have my solo show called Million Dollar Maybe, which is going up to Edinburgh for the month. Exciting. What's it about? Um, it's about by visibility and whether or not you can prove anything. Perfect. Yeah, I know. Really <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, <laughs> it it is. Uh, I I really love the show. I think it's the best thing I've ever produced. Yeah, I'll say that. Amazing. That was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for being a guest, and thank you so much for listening. Take care. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>